how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the show. This is episode 466. Daniel Wilcox returns, the author of the new horror novel, Dream, and the creator of the 50K writing camp over at activatedauthors.com slash 50K. You get to a point where it hurts more not to make than to make, Daniel told me. In this interview, we talk about getting to 11 million downloads, the making of Dream, fascinations with cosmic horror, his current 50K writing challenge, creating communities where you serve but also find help for yourself, and how to market your work both in terms of fiction and nonfiction. Follow Wilcox Author on Instagram for more information about his programs and his books. Last time we spoke, I was very much in the weeds of a lot of words. Like you say, it was about two, two and a half years ago. Um, and I had a very, very consistent writing schedule. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the formations, one of the bases of what I, uh, how I formed my writing community, Activated Authors, is kind of on this idea of how do you juggle personal life with the wants to write and be creative and try and find that healthy, sustainable middle line? Because it's, it's, it's a different battle for every single person. Um, and this year, honestly, I have not been half as creative as I would like to be just because of like a lot of personal stuff going on in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I'm very vocal about, very honest with, with my activated authors and with coming on these sort of podcasts, just because I think it's important to be consistent and it's important to find those moments to be creative. And when I can, generally, I get the words done in the morning. Um, I've got a writing sprint with a group of friends later on tonight that I'm going to be doing some words and stuff in just to, to keep creating. Um, but at the times in which life is a bit more turbulent, you have to be able to go a bit more with the flow and work out where to prioritize different things. So obviously, like, you know, health is something that I'm very much trying to prioritize at the minute over words. So in the time where I would normally be writing, I'm going off and I'm doing long walks so that, you know, that gives me the space to think. It gives me the space, the space to process. I have had more book ideas come out in in that kind of walking phase. Um, and then in the times where I can and the times where I feel like, you know, the because I, I, I get to the point and I, I strongly believe that most creatives, you get to a point in your journey where it hurts more not to make than it does to make. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely like right there right now because I've got all these ideas in my head that I just want to sit down and write. But you get to a point where it's just like, like screw everything else, we're just going to sit down and write. So um, it's a bit of a messy way to say that there isn't really, for me at the minute, a routine. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very much looking forward to when that returns. But the the fact is that, you know, sometimes in life, you know, you have people pass away, you have like, you know, things come up with finance, you have things that come up with health. Um, and for me this year, that's been one of those kind of turbulent years. I'm trying to be a bit more kind and conscious to myself in saying like, create because i have still i have still written i've written uh dream which is my new horror novel which is coming out on 31st october um i'm halfway through working on a book that's all about how to write a book and i've uh there was another one that came out earlier this year that's totally slipped my mind but i've worked on quite a few different things and chugged away on that because i also know that i'm trained enough now that when i have that 20 minutes when i have that half an hour i can sit down and go okay words and and they come and some of that is, I mean, to be, when I, when I think about the word prolific, I'm thinking about a lifetime, not like crazy 10,000 word days. So you do yeah. need to replenish the well and walk and do other things and just rotate. I think there is more of like, it's not a perfect day, but a rotation of days that make you like a career type writer. 
yeah yeah i know i know how i work best and so i keep that in mind when i can um as i say like mornings tend to be better for me to write in for whatever reason when i get out that kind of just quiet in the morning just creativity helps mm-hmm. um but then at the same time you know as, as you kind of say as a, as a professional sometimes you have to get into a point where it's like okay today hasn't been ideal but you know there's an hour half an hour 20 minutes coming up that i can sit down and do some stuff so make use of it while you can hmm. so wh- where did the idea from dream come from tell me a little bit about that oh so um every year uh, so i'm i'm one of the co-founders of the other stories podcast which is a short horror fiction that comes out every monday um, it formed in 2016, in April 2016 was when it first aired. And we've since uh, accrued, I think it's about 11 million downloads we've just passed now. So, you know, we've, we've written a lot of horror stories. They come out every week. And as of about four or five years ago, we started to do these Halloween specials. So around in the lead up to Halloween, we'll release an episode every day of a more serialized story. And uh, it was my turn this year. I, I took up the mantle and I said, you know, I'll, I'll take the, the reins on, on this year's story. And for whatever reason i've been massively into uh, cosmic horror this year i've got a real kind of connection with um the ideas behind lovecraft's work less so the racism and, and that side of stuff uh more kind of like the existential ideas of the horrors that are awaiting out in the cosmos because i think we've reached a point with um awareness of the planet that we know most of what exists and what's going on and kind of the final two frontiers really are the ocean and space and there's something for me really appealing about some of the the monsters in the um, Lovecraft mythos, and uh, just just the idea of play, the because the, the whole idea behind Lovecraft is that you know we are the ants under the foot of the gods, and so it's not necessarily that the gods hate us; it's more just the fact that like we just happen to be in their way when bad things happen. And because we were writing this Halloween story, I thought, what well, wouldn't it be amazing to combine that kind of ethos, that kind of view, and put it into a classic story? So I chose Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. And essentially took the basic structure of what we all know to be Alice in Wonderland or Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, I should say, and uh, just gave it that entire cosmic eldritch monstery face paint over the top. And it's been incredibly fun to write and it had an amazing crew behind us. We had uh, Jimmy Horrors did all the audio production. Uh, a wonderful lady called Georgia Cook plays Alice and she absolutely knocked it out of the park. And yeah, that's currently airing now. Uh, so first episode came out yesterday, 25th of October, episode every day until the 31st of October. And then there's a book out of it as well. So kind of all the mediums and formats. Are you mentioning these um, these influences like Lewis Carroll or Lovecraft? Do you mention those within the story? Are there worries about copyright issues or is it more just like, hey, this kind of inspired me? How do you think about some of those things? So they're not explicitly um, stated within the story itself. In a lot of the advertising in, in the book blurbs and things they're mentioned. Um, and they are... Um, I'm totally going to forget what the word is now, but because it's been over a hundred years since either of them yeah. were published, they're now in the public domain. Right. And so, you know, that was something that in the beginning, I was very, very careful in looking into the specifics of making sure of what I can and what I can't use. Um, because there are some works from Lovecraft that are, are coming out and some of those ideas haven't quite reached that hundred year mark, but the actual mm-hmm. sort of core of, you know, Cthulhu and some of the the, the main ideas that he had uh, are all in the public domain. And then Lewis Carroll was the 18, 1800s. Um, and so, yeah, they're all they're all pretty much free to use. I actually just interviewed. I haven't published this yet, but uh, Dennis Paoli has got a new movie out called Suitable Flesh. He did Body Snatchers, Reanimator. He's been a Lovecraft fan for forever, I guess you'd say. But um, I think the website or one website for those listening who want to look, I think Project Gutenberg is a good place to start with. Uh, those are all supposed to be like 
uh, copyright free. And there's lots of ways to do that. I don't know. Have you seen Fall of the House of Usher? It's the new Mike Flanagan. It's all into Edgar no, Allan Poe. I, it's on my list of things to watch. Yeah, it's it's it's. I would say top three of his, and his are all pretty remarkable. So it's, it's definitely something. I get the most. The most one I recommend is Haunting of Hill House, but I like Midnight Mass the most. Midnight it's Mass just, it, yeah. it's crazy. It's just wild. It's just like out there. So yeah, I love it for <laughs> sure. Um, so how are you setting up? Like you mentioned, you're not having quite as much time to write, but you've got a lot of stuff going on. So is it, what, what's the author thing you're doing like that? And that's something you partner with someone so that I imagine there's some accountability there. Plus there's mm -hmm. some students involved. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, um, again, kind of just to press the point, like it's been a very uh, up and down year. So I've had to adjust a lot of what I've been doing to make sure that I'm able to find that balance. And I use the word balance quite um, loosely because I don't ever, I don't truly believe that you can ever achieve a balance. I just think there's kind of like this ever moving equilibrium that you have to try and chase. Um, yeah, I mean, so I run the Activated Authors community, as you say. Um, I do a lot of that with my partner and co-host, uh, Samantha Frost. Uh, we run the podcast, which is a weekly fixture, comes out every, obviously every week. And um, that's kind of some of the backbone of the community itself. So every week we uh, put out episodes on certain topics. Um, we're going back into the arena now of bringing on people to interview. So I will probably be reaching out to you off of <laughs> this podcast. Um, but yeah, so that kind of brings a lot of the content, a lot of the information to our community. Um, and I've kind of over, so the community officially formed in 2020 and it's just constantly been evolution and change depending on you know who's in the community what people need the most and I'm, i've never been someone who's been scared to kind of change the formula and kind of play around with things so i i try and keep it quite fluid and um you know i balance the the podcast around trying to write my work um earlier this year <laughs> earlier this year excuse me i was running a lot of uh, live writing sprints so i was jumping on and writing with the guys and providing a forum where they could get their words in they could write with me and all that kind of stuff um, the last few months, I've had to get to a point where I'm like, I'm really sorry, guys, I can't do that right now because that does consume a lot of time and a lot of bandwidth. Um, and the guys have been absolutely fantastic and kind of, you know, support. It, it, it's really bizarre when you create a community because you create it based on the, the premise that you're supporting them. And then what you find is you form this kind of weird kinship where in those times of need, like people support you as well. So, you know, a lot of them are carrying on doing those sprints just without me. And when I'm at a point where I can jump back in and do those, I absolutely will. Um but yeah, I, you know, I've, I've kind of, I'm constantly reviewing what I'm doing every month or so. I tend to sit down and I'll make a list of key priorities and I'll kind of say, okay, what is it for this month? What are the things that feel important, but on, but actually aren't. Um, and then the most important thing for me really, which is something that I'm still trying to get back into is amidst all of the stuff that I can't control, what can I control? And most importantly, where's the fun? Because mm -hmm. even if everything else is taking up my bandwidth, because at the minute, like, you know, I'm launching a book. Uh, I've got my 50k writing camp starting in November, so I'm going to be helping authors write 50,000 words in the 30 days alongside the the NaNoWriMo project. Um, I've got uh, I'm currently in an InfoStack bundle um, which I'm promoting, which is this week. I've got two two other different books on the go, and then I've got all this personal stuff as well. So, you know, the, these times sometimes you just don't have the time to sit down and do the fun. So I'm really trying to like go, okay, so where's my 10 minutes? Just just bare basic. Where's my 10 minutes? Okay, there that's the time I'm going to make this happen. And then I make sure that I give myself that because as, as we said earlier, otherwise you get to a point where it's just painful to, to do the other stuff. Yeah, and some of that's like almost, it's really just your, if you're going to change your approach to some of those things too, like um, I have a VA helping me with some of the truly boring things I don't like yes. to do, but I'm working with a writing coach now and just some of the mentality he shared with me is like, 
never do something where you're just literally clocking in. Like there should be a better approach to it than that. Like you can have fun doing a workout. It's all about how you're going to do it. You know, it's, it's all yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing. Well, it's absolutely mindset. It's, you know, so even in, you know, the, the bad days, there's a way to look at the positives and there's a way to try and make it so that, as you say, you're enjoying it. And I think one of my mantras that, and I will say, I don't always live up to this. No one ever can. But one of my main mantras every every morning is, you know, why make this day harder than you need to? Or why make this day not as fun as it could be? Because mm-hmm. we all we all have those days where we wake up and we're tired and we're in a bad mood or like something just kind of kicks us up in the wrong direction. And then it's really incumbent on us to go, okay, is this how I'm going to spend the next 16 hours? Like, how can I make the best of the day that I've got, despite the fact that it hasn't started in the way that I wanted it to? Mm-hmm. And so the 50K challenge you're doing, is that fiction and nonfiction? Yeah, it's pretty much whatever people want to write. Uh, the the premise is basically get 50,000 fresh new words of a draft in those 30 days. Um, so for people who do quick math, that's 1,667 words per day. But, you know, most of our lives aren't made up in a way that we can write consistently every day. Like I've got four quite key family birthdays in, in November. So I'm mm-hmm. immediately writing off four or five days from those. Um, but yeah, it's it's big word counts. But, you know, I've, I've been running this camp since uh, 2020. The international average of people that complete that challenge is 15%. And every one of my camps has hit 80% of people who have crossed the finish line. Wow. Is there something specifically you do differently? So one one question I get a lot when in these writing sprints more so is how to separate the writer from the editor. Like it's usually not so much laziness as it is like perfectionism. Like what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think it's it's definitely something that, you know, newer authors will kind of come against come up against, but you know, something that follows a lot of writers too. Um and to be honest, it's it's coming back to that mindset thing again, because I think what happens when we're writing that first draft or when we're just looking at writing a book is often we put so much pressure on ourselves and the idea that we have that we want to make it, as you say, perfect first time around. Like it's very easy to fall into the trap of perfectionism. And what I tend to see is people will write chapter one and then they'll go back and they'll edit chapter one. And then they might do a third edit of chapter one. OK, it's clean. It's polished. It's, it's where I want it to be. Chapter two, write chapter two. Ah, oh, crap. Now I've changed something fundamental that needs to go back to chapter one. Okay, so I'll do chapter one, chapter two, and then you do three. And that kind of weird kind of really slow caterpillar goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And my biggest advice I give to people, and it's one of kind of, again, the, the heartbeat of what this 50K writing camp is, is just give yourself permission to write crap. Mm-hmm. Because a couple of things come from that. And, you know, it's it's a thing that's learned once you've done it a few times. But when you're writing that first draft, you're telling yourself the story. Even if you planned what the story is going to be, you're telling yourself a full story. And it's, in my experience, it's much better to have a, uh, a very, very rough first draft that is done where you can look at it from a bird's eye view and go, okay, chapter three doesn't work. Chapter four is awesome. Okay, 16 needs a bit more of this. And then you can kind of like cherry pick and that's where the magic of editing comes in. Then, like I say, going in and doing that kind of roller coaster back and forth, back and forth. And... The thing that we've got to remember is the first draft is it's for our eyes only. Like we read a lot of books that, you know, are beautiful and we forget they've been through 10, 15 rounds of edits. And this first story, it's like, it's a difference between um, storytelling and writing. So for me, the first draft is about storytelling, which is, will this resonate with a reader? Do I have compelling characters? Does it make sense? The writing comes in editing in draft three, four, five, six, when you actually start to put that magic in. And so in order to get the fast word counts, just give yourself permission to write whatever comes out. Obviously, try and keep it as, as much as you can on track. And one thing that I have found as well is, you know, I had in 2020, I ended up writing uh, 24 books in a year, which was a lot of books in, in a pandemic. 
Um, and what, what I actually ended up finding was the faster that I wrote, the better my drafts were because I'm not giving myself pauses in which the story can kind of drop off and I have to like pick it up and think about it again. It's just flowing forward. And I give myself permission to just follow where the characters go to just say, okay, like this wasn't what I planned, but let's follow this and see what happens. Um, and often you'll find that your your subconscious will tell you the way to go and it will feel the way for you. And again, it's not like, it's not perfect for everyone. Some people do need those outlines. But I would argue and I have argued with a lot of the authors that I've coached that they should just write that first draft and get that one done without looking back. Like, don't worry about typos. Don't worry about like if you forget a guy's eye color, all that stuff can be fixed. What is the story and does the story work? Is there anything you do differently between fiction and nonfiction? Like, do you outline from one and not the other? Or how do you think about those things? Oh, good question. Um, fiction, I tend to outline less. Um, so I, I always say that if there's a, a spectrum, one to 10, and one is pantsing, where you don't plan, you just write, and 10 is plotting, where you have to have everything written down, I'm probably about a three or a four. So mm. I need to have some idea of you know my bad guy. I like to have an idea of where the book's going to end up. Um, a couple of sort of central themes and obviously like some character names and things and then I go ahead and write and that's just how it goes like I might kind of sketch a little outline in my head I, I definitely have a few scenes that I like to try and get to but I don't always hit them in that draft um, but I just let my I let my brain tell my story for me it's almost like I'm watching a film for the first time and I'm allowing for the film to unfold in my head as I write whereas uh, with non-fiction obviously non-fiction is a lot more um, for want of a better word clinical you know, you're kind of telling facts in a lot of ways. You're trying to get very specific messages across. And so I, I tend to outline the structure of the nonfictions, but then I'll still just write that first draft forward. So with the How to Write a Book book, which isn't the final title because <laughs> it's a crap title um, <laughs> that I'm writing at the minute, I the first draft through that was literally just me going, here are the main sections that I want to cover. Okay, what would I put in there? Breaking down subchapters and then, right, let's just write through and see how much information I already know to get out there um and i'm on the the third draft now and even at this point i'm looking at things going like i've left myself little brackets to say insert specific examples because at that point i didn't want to distract myself looking at research of certain things where i just wanted to get the heartbeat of what that chapter was with um non-fiction i would assume you're trying to solve a problem like how, how to write a book book as, a, as an example with fiction are you worried at all about writing things that are common in the market or so, too similar, similar similar to other stories? And I would imagine, like, I don't know if this is someone you look up to, but like as many books as Stephen King comes out with, I would assume he mostly just runs at every idea he has to some yeah. degree. Yeah. And it's more about the total number of books as opposed to any given one. Is Do you see a similar path with that? Or how do you think about that? I mean, no, it's not really something that I... I concern myself with too much. Um, I mean, my the the reason I started writing and the reason I, I published my first book was because I wanted to have one of my stories on the shelf. And even now, any story that I write, I make a point of being sure that I've given it everything that I can and that I'm happy with it. And then kind of what happens after that is out of my hands. So, mm -hmm. you know, I know every, every story is going to have elements of things that are somewhat unoriginal. I mean, there's a reason that genres exist there's a reason that there are tropes within genres that you know people expect people use um and actually in one of the chapters i edited i went into quite a strong diatribe about this because i i argue very strongly about how a lot of readers want uh, the same but different so again like romance readers aren't looking for anything out of that romantic genre they're looking for the same tropes they're looking for the happy endings they'll happily read book after book after book of 
arguably and this is no disrespect to that genre because it's the same in every genre but arguably it's the same story it's a couple who aren't together that end up together if you put it it's very basic components mm-hmm. horror it's you know order into disorder and chaos like it's very basic principles that's how story looks um and my argument for this is like you know if you go back to way way into like <clears throat> where our primitive ancestors were and even into sort of childhood developmental psychology now from a kid and even from years and years ago when we were sort of coming out of the or into sapiens realm we start by establishing a, a safe base so we find out our environment we say okay here's safe we know what to expect we know what's here and then once we have a safe base we feel safe enough to explore and discover new things and you know caveman ancestors they'd find their local tribes and things and then they kind of identify that area and then they'd go out and explore once they were safe and knew where safety was Again, same with kids, like if they go into the playground, if their mum's there, they know they can explore because if they get hurt, they can come back. And I argue that that's how readers approach their books. You know, they they want the same, but different. They want the framework that they're familiar with, with juicy little nuggets and challenges that kind of give them those little dopamine hits in a safe environment. And so with horror, I know that arguably a lot of the things that I write have been done in some way. But the core thing that I kind of teach all of my activated authors is your voice matters no one's ever told that story like you so if i gave you for example the outline to the titanic and i gave me the outline to titanic and i said let's write the titanic separately Mm. entirely different stories Mm. you know there'd be different emotions there'd be different um emphasis on things that matter and things that don't you know the boats would look different the oceans would look different like the the key part about any artistic endeavor that puts us away from this idea of cliche or unoriginality is that everyone has such a unique perspective that that's where you write from and that really in in the books that i've loved the most that's the ones that really matter because it's the people that are telling their story in their way and it's a way that you've never heard and you never will again you see it more so um so if we were to both write the titanic as your example some of the plot the ending is going to be the same the themes are going to be way different though it's themes where you put in your own like personal anecdotes do you also see similar themes carrying through multiple copies of your books mm-hmm. yeah i think um one one thing that i see a lot is i kill dogs uh i i don't know how to explain that well i've, I've got ideas but it's one of the things that both upsets and thrills <laughs> my readers and those who are yeah well they not in the whole john wick for movies you know no, so. no. but i think uh, so i write horror um yeah. primarily as my fiction and my my rationale for why i kill dogs is because i love dogs mm-hmm. and so what more horrible thing is there to me than the idea of hurting a dog and like no they're not fun to write and yes like i do feel like they they move the story forward um but yeah like the, for some reason dogs always appear like i i always have a lot of um sort of psychological entrapment so people that find themselves very much in small spaces where they really have to go against everything they've known to work out how to get out of that. And I get very granular into people's heads because I, I, I'm i very, very interested in sort of um, psychology and, you know, human behavior and that kind of stuff. And I think horror is the ideal playground to explore that because you really have to imagine what ticks people have, what kind of survival mechanisms they have to get themselves out of certain situations. So, you know, people who are less capable to escape from i don't know like a, a demon chasing after him versus those that somehow can whip it out the bag because they've been doing xyz um there's a lot of survivalism in in my books and i don't know if that's because i started off with my first novel being a post-apocalyptic novel um but i really also like the idea of working from a clean slate it's one of the reasons that drew me to apocalyptic uh, fiction in the first place before i kind of moved a bit more into horror it's this idea that you can start again and everything's fresh and the rules don't exist 
Is there a subgenre of horror that you haven't touched yet or are purposely waiting on for whatever reason? Oh God. Um, historical. I, I don't like getting bogged down in details and facts. It just doesn't entertain me. I just like telling wild stories where I can. Um, erotic horror. I haven't played with, um, or bizarro really. I've started to write weirder stuff, but I've not really kind of gone down the really bizarre, hmm. uh, area. But no, I think at the minute I'm happy. I'm very much happy playing in Cosmic. I think I'm starting to add a bit more fantasy into my work. Um, and yeah, that's kind of kind of where I am at the minute. So you mentioned kind of getting in the characters' heads. There's a Chuck. There's a quote from um, Chuck Palahniuk about like you should write the story in the medium that it fits, so that would make sense that you could do more in a book than you can a movie. What else do you do that, or like, what else stands out about books to you that may not translate to horror movies or other genres or other uh, mediums? Yeah, it's just, as you say, you just go deeper with a book. Like, a perfect example I always use, it's not necessarily, well, you could argue that the first Hunger Games is horror-ish if like, you actually read the book. But like, there's a moment in, uh, I believe it's the second Hunger Games book in which Katniss is about to go up into the arena and she's in this sort of glass cylinder about to go up to her second Hunger Games. Um, spoiler alert for anyone who's not seen it. <laughs> and uh, her person who's been coaching her is, as she's about to get lifted up, he gets murdered by the other people, the, the people in the capital. And in the book, I remember reading that as four pages and everything slows down and that moment stretches. And it is so, it's such a powerful moment that really sticks with me. And then you watch the film and it's stab up next thing. Like it's so quick and it has to be. So it kind mm. of makes sense. So, for me, I think books just really allow you to play a bit more with the tension. They allow you to slow things down a lot more and to really get into the characters' heads. And I think that really is a strength that, for whatever reason, it's just, it. I've not seen it as successfully translated to anything on the screen as you can in the book. So back to your, we just got a few minutes left, back to your like 50K challenge. What are the most common questions you hear what makes up the 20% of people who are not finishing it? What are some of those like errors and problems like that? So, um, I mean, one of the things that I specifically do with the 50K writing camp is it is paid. So it's £30 to join in and do it, which I think, to be fair, considering what you get is a steal. Um, but it's also deliberate because by putting money on the table, you're giving yourself more incentive to complete that thing. Um, some of the things that I definitely see people struggle with or the people who struggle don't do uh, really lean into a community. So I always say it doesn't have to be mine, but find people who will buoy you along, who will support you. Um, find the people who you can be accountable to. So, you know, whether that's your partner, whether that's a friend, colleague, another writer, whatever that is, find the people around you. Uh, and the biggest, the number one biggest thing that anyone could do is before even planning what your 50K project is going to be, is really sit down and go, why am I doing this? Because for me, I... I, a couple of reasons, especially earlier on, like I wanted to have written a book for my, like, so I could show my son that you can do hard things and that, you know, daddy's written a book. But also, I've been wanting to write a book for years and I hate the idea of looking at my 18, 19 year old self on my deathbed and looking back and being like, I didn't make that happen. And the only way to make that happen is to do the work. So that was my, my why at the time. And if you have your wife, you sit down and truly go, why am I doing this? Because it's not an easy thing to do. And there are other things you could be doing. So on the days it gets super, super hard, if you know what your why is and you can, pin that on your fridge if you can put it on your computer whatever that is that specific line that says this is why i'm doing it and then really connect with that why um that really is the kind of rope that pulls you through right until the end because as i say on those those days when you get up and you're just like, i'm so tired 
look at that why okay this is why i'm doing it just do five minutes and that five minutes will turn into 20 you'll find the momentum and that really is what pulls most people through thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's a digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.